Welcome back. Tuesday, December 20th, 2022. Our phone number is 602-508-0960. I suppose it's not hard to guess that if you want to get rid of Western civilization, you know, Aristotle, Plato, Judaism, Christianity, the Enlightenment, Shakespeare, John Locke, Adam Smith, Montesquieu, James Madison, John Stuart Mill, Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill— and so many who informed them and learned from them in between and after, it's not hard to guess that if all of that is to become the enemy and dispense with, that America would also need to be defenestrated and buried. I give you Stanford University, quoting from the Wall Street Journal this morning, quote, Stanford University administrators in May published an index of forbidden words to be eliminated from the school's website and computer code, schools' websites and computer code, and provided inclusive replacements to help re-educate the benighted, close quote. Let's go to the link at Stanford University. It's a project they have titled the Elimination of Harmful Language Initiative, EHLI. They tell us EHLI is a multi-phase, multi-year project to address harmful language in IT at Stanford. EHLI is one of the actions prioritized in the Statement of Solidarity and Commitment to Action, which was published by the Stanford CIO Council and People of Color in Technology, POCIT, organizations. Very busy over there at Stanford, aren't they? My favorite part comes next. You'll see why once we get to some of the list of forbidden words, it's what you might call a trigger warning. But they don't like the phrase trigger warning either, believe it or not. Anyway, it reads this way. Before you get to the banned list of words, the list of banned words, it reads, quote, this website focuses on (laughs) potential. Serious. This website focuses on potentially harmful terms used in the United States, starting with a list of everyday language and terminology. Our suggested alternatives are in line with those used by peer institutions and within the technology community. Content warning, they write. This website contains language that is offensive or harmful. Please engage with this website at your own pace, close quote. Don't read this too fast. In other words, be careful. You might want to read this list with a friend or an adult or a therapist, lest it harm or offend you, lest you need to go to the infirmary. Or something. The first word on the list that should be out, no longer used, is addict. More on that in a moment. Blind study is out, you know, the gold standard for research. The word brave is out, and instead of offering an alternative as most of the list here does offer, for example, instead of using the word addict, they recommend substance use. But the word brave, they don't give you an alternative. The recommendation is simply do not use. But they do tell you why, quote, this term perpetuates the stereotype of the noble, courageous savage, equating the indigenous male as being less than a man, close quote. Just a question. When's the last time anyone used the word brave to invoke an indigenous male? And another question while I'm at it. Since when was brave ever invoked as anything but a positive or a superlative of male behavior rather than a diminution of it. Do we want men not to be brave? 
I guess we don't want polite society either, as the word, quote, gentlemen, close quote, is out. No more gentlemen, because it, quote, lumps a group of people using masculine language and or into gender binary groups, which don't include everyone. Of course, then, too, the word mankind is out and to be replaced with humankind. We'll circle back to that in a moment. But for now, maybe contemplate how the human species can exist without men or mankind, never mind a decent human society without gentlemen. It amazes me the word human survives all this in the first place. Maybe volume two will take that word out as it comes from the Latin humanus, meaning of man. The word American is out. Here's why. Close quote. Or open quote. Here's why. Open quote. This term often refers to people from the United States only, thereby insinuating that the U.S. is the most important country in the Americas, which is actually made up of 42 countries, close quote. So we'll just change the name of our country, or Stanford will, I guess, and I suppose, too, we'll have to rid ourselves of Native Americans while we're at it. I'm happy to see we don't want to think of ourselves as more important than, oh, say, Suriname, one of the Americas, but then again, I'm guessing students at Stanford are not on student aid from those countries either, but rather from the country that requires its president to be born in something called the United States of America. Lest we beat up or focus too exclusively on Stanford University, their initiative does cross-reference a list from Brandeis University, where, among other things, the words prisoner and convict are out and replaced with, quote, a person who is incarcerated because they tell us, quote, person first language avoids defining the person by their experience, close quote. This is confusing because until yesterday it was supposed to be someone's experience, remember the phrase my truth, that dictated their credibility and credentials. But you see how this works. It's to take away any volition or agency in an individual whatsoever and make of them a creature of their environment without any reason or ability to do anything in or about it, like an amoeba surrounded by fluid, I suppose. Pretty soon you could just as easily reduce or eliminate any notion of crime, since there would be no intent married to any action that anyone could decide upon or reason themselves into doing. And the whole reason for finding a person who is incarcerated would be nothing more nor less than the reason for someone not being incarcerated. The highly important country of Cuba, lest we think it less valuable than the United States in any way, would now be able to avoid any amnesty international efforts or condemnations of their prison system too sweet. Before I lose the train of thought here, let's go back to why we can't say addict for a moment. It's to be replaced with someone who uses substances. That's what we replace the word addict with, substances, someone who uses substances. We started this whole concern some decades ago when we worried about the ravages of what we used to call illegal drug abuse. Soon we turned that into illegal drug use, then just drug use, then substance abuse, and now substance use. As if it's nothing aberrational or, for that matter, problematic, never mind wrong or even illegal or dangerous. When we were concerned about these things leading to crime, violence, and suicide, willfully or unwillfully because of overdoses, we were talking about the illegal because we were talking about the dangerous. 
Somehow, the professional rhetoricians convinced the rest of society that these drugs weren't illegal because they were dangerous. They were dangerous because they were illegal. The illegality was the problem. The illegality and criticism and warning about their use was the problem. So we normalized it. And once we normalized it, we got more of it. The heroin, the cocaine, the methamphetamines, the high-potency concentrated THC. And as we got more of it, we got a lot more crime, a lot more destruction, a lot more self-harm, and yes, a lot more death. But never mind, when you look up the data on drug use or drug abuse, it's now everywhere called substance use, which I imagine pretty soon will also include caffeine, as why would we want to distinguish between heroin addiction, excuse me, use, and caffeine addiction, or what will be called substance use. You see, anything can be a substance. But before we lose the most important train of thought here, let's go back to the beginning of what I was saying, the trajectory from tossing out Western civilization to now culminating in tossing out the word American. In 1987, the protest against Western civilization began in earnest, and it began at Ground Zero Stanford University, where there and then famously the Reverend Jesse Jackson led a march shouting, Hey, hey, ho, ho, Western Civ has got to go. A generation later, the country most founded on the lessons and works of Western civilization, from Greek philosophy to the Bible, and so much since, America, now has to go and is out as well. When then-Secretary of Education William Bennett went to Stanford to challenge Jackson, he said, quote, The abiding strength of the West was that it was inquisitive about other cultures and societies in a way no other culture or society ever was. That was certainly one reason to study Western civilization. As Alan Bloom, a scholar on Rousseau and Plato put it, quote, It is astonishing how little a Frenchman knows or has a feeling for things that are not French. But to Americans, Homer, Virgil, Dante, Shakespeare, Goethe belong to everyone or to what we call civilization. Bennett would say, we do not understand the ideals of other cultures better by misunderstanding our own, or adequately enrich an intercultural thesis by offering to it anything less than the best that we have. For here is the real crime or end point. We seem not to know why we can even have these discussions. That our society was founded upon such principles as justice, liberty, government, with the consent of the governed, and equality under the law, is the result of ideas descendant directly from Western civilization. Enlightenment England and France, Renaissance Florence, and Periclean Athens. These ideas, so revolutionary in their times, yet so taken for granted now, are the glue that binds together our pluralistic nation. The fact that we as Americans, whether black or white, Asian or Hispanic, rich or poor, share these beliefs aligns us with other cultures of the Western tradition. It is not ethnocentric or chauvinistic to acknowledge this. No student citizen of our civilization should be denied access to the best that tradition has to offer. You think they have that in the 41 other Americas? For every person who seeks serious answers to such questions as, what can I know? What should I do? What should I hope for? What is man? What is good? Indeed, to the very question, how should I live? 
there is no better place to look for guidance than the great books and deeds of Western civilization. Otherwise, we answer these questions in a void, ignorant of the most thoughtful presentations of our fundamental alternatives, close quote. It's interesting, too, to contemplate who Jesse Jackson would be without Western civilization. Could he even be a reverend? Would there be such a thing as a reverend? It's interesting, too, to think about how he would have become famous or prominent in late 20th century America with Jesse Jackson. He attached himself to Reverend Martin Luther King in the 60s and was with him when he died and tried to pick up and run with his teacher's legacy. But does he know that Martin Luther King gave a major speech saying how he came to his views? Here's what he said in a major speech at Crozier Theological Seminary, Martin Luther King, quote, in order to undertake a serious intellectual quest for a a method to eliminate social evil, I turned to a serious study of the social and ethical theories of the great philosophers, from Plato and Aristotle down to Rousseau, Hobbes, Bentham Mill, and Locke. All of these masters stimulating my thinking, such as it was, and while finding things to question in each of them, I nevertheless learned a great deal from their works, close quote. Exactly. And what did he do with all that learning? He drove us and his movement back to our Declaration of Independence, the official title of which is, gasp, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, America, in nearly each and every speech on civil rights and the evils of segregation and racism, King would make reference to that. I suppose the age of irony is over, so it won't do any more to point out the people are employed to promote all this claptrap at Stanford because a man named Leland Stanford inherited rules of economics, law, the protection and ability to acquire private property in order to create the very institution that is dedicated to unwinding all of that. But being an American is out at Stanford now. And my only real concern is what comes next, as something tells me a train off its rails, as a ship without a compass, as an automobile without brakes, as an elevation of Venezuelan ethics over America, will simply not end well. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We shall be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. A friend of mine in Colorado, Christine Tatum, tweeted out, Hey, for you in the back, government paid Twitter millions of dollars to censor info from the public. It's amazing to me that you need to shout this to the people sitting in the back. Who did she mean? Well, I don't know specifically. I haven't talked to her. But if you look at the web, at the mainstream news websites, you would think this would be the biggest story or should be the biggest story around. You realize only we conservatives know about this for the most part. Only we conservatives know about this. If you go to CNN, their blazing top headline is, hold on to your seats. Ready? They think this is at CNN, the biggest news of the day. Congress considers new retirement rules. Yes. Right. The fact that the FBI embedded dozens of agents and paid millions of dollars to a news platform 
to alter and change the news that we all received and to shadow ban the spreading of news that we would somehow discover on our own because it didn't suit the FBI's narrative is not to be found on the CNN website. It's not to be found at the other mainstream news websites either. How is this not? Miss uh, uh, Karen Jean-Pierre, the press secretary, was asked about it today. She said it's not her place to comment on that. An administration that tried to create misinformation boards doesn't feel that it's appropriate to comment on a department under its leadership, under its uh, direction, that had embedded dozens of agents into a news platform to alter the news that we Americans receive. And, if I may, write a month, less than a month, before a presidential election. Less than a month before a presidential election. There's a piece over at uh, the Political Insider about uh, Elon Musk making a point about power that conservatives need to understand. I'm not endorsing it at all. It's just interesting that Elon Musk, who is now, uh, by dint of his purchasing and making himself the CEO of Twitter, has revealed all this. He now submitted to a vote of Twitter of people on Twitter, whether he should stay on or resign as CEO. And the majority of responses were that he should resign, and it looks like he will. He often likes to say, uh, vox populi, vox dei. Voice of the people is the voice of God. God save us from ever accepting that notion. And this is not a good move on his part. It's not a good philosophy either. It's not a good one. It's why we're not a democracy, as many of you know. It's why we're a republic. It's why we don't just all have a little button, as Ross, Ross Perot wanted us to have, where we all get to vote on every piece of public policy that affects us and have that rule the day. It's not a good idea. If you want to know why, look at the Vox Populi before Elon Musk bought Twitter. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. John Dombrowski joins us for our culture and economy update. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website and a great way to reach him. He also has his own radio show here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. The Word on Wealth. How are you, John? Fantastic, Seth. Thank you. I'm glad to hear it. Um, this is a bunch of stories I was intrigued by today. If I might start with this one, this seems like a lot of money. Speaking about wealth, you have to be wealthy to pay this one off. A $1.7 billion penalty mm. going to Wells Fargo uh, to pay a fine to settle allegations that harmed customers. Yeah, uh, this, this, this does seem to be a big deal. And this isn't the first for Wells Fargo no, either. No, Now, that was – you're right. That was the $1.7 billion was the fine. Yeah. But there was also a total of $3.7 billion yeah. because yeah. it was an additional $2 billion that will go towards compensating more than 16 million customers, yeah. they say, who are impacted by what they called illegal activity. Yeah. Um, and what the interesting thing is, is on this, this is for – in the past, there were uh, issues with them opening up fraudulent accounts mm -hmm. to meet certain quotas. 
Uh, but this is for uh, practices on some of the loans that they had. Uh, and, and in certain cases, they were repossessing uh, uh, automobiles, mm-hmm. uh, mis- mismatching payments on mm-hmm. vehicles. So they were uh, just doing things that it's really hard to believe yeah. in this day and age yeah. that an institution this large would be involved in this type of mismanagement of their portfolio, their loan portfolios. Uh, but these these penalties that they're paying, 1.7, this is going to be one of the highest ever now. Yep. The last one was a billion. Yep. Uh, but the additional $2 billion towards compensating the uh, customers who are impacted by what they said, again, these illegal activities. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard about uh, Wells Fargo for years and mm-hmm. these kinds of complaints, and it looks like it caught up to them. At a certain point, you wonder, is it big enough not to fail with these kinds of fines? Yeah, I mean, the it's stock been... price drove drove. drove Drove, yep. drove, drove all the way down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's a tough one. Yeah, uh, this is interesting. You know, we talk about supply chain issues and other kinds of problems. There was uh, in the news for a while um, a baby formula shortage. Mm. Yeah, it looks now like there's a problem with. The supply of children's over-the-counter fever reducers and medicines like children's Tylenol and um, and the like. Uh, others as Advil as well. CVS and Walgreens uh, they're limiting now uh, how many uh, how much of this stuff you can buy when you go in. Yeah, they're limiting it over online. Yeah, uh, store in store they're not limiting it. Okay, but, good. Uh, again, there's the issue with supply in store as well. Uh, but the pharmaceutical maker Johnson and Johnson that's who manufactures this. They're saying that they're continuing running their production lines, trying to keep up with the demand. And they said that it may be less readily available at some stores, but they're doing, obviously, everything they can to try to keep up with the demand. It's really interesting, Seth. Uh, the healthcare industry as a whole um, has fared fairly well through this downturn in the uh, market that we're seeing. And that, of course, is because, you know, no matter whether economy is good or bad, people need health care. And they do need their prescription drugs and all the things that come with that. Uh, And we're seeing a high, high um, uh, percentage of children. You know, now these hospitals are being overrun again. Yeah, sure. Pediatric hospitals. Uh, So the respiratory issues that we're seeing with a lot of the uh, pediatric uh, patients. So it's really a challenge uh, they're finding here. But... uh, Hopefully, we'll be able to keep up with this demand. I remember the old show, Law and Order. They were mm-hmm. having a particularly bad year, thing after thing after thing. And one of the senior partners said at one point, when are things going to just stop sucking around here? <laughs> I don't usually yeah. like to talk that way. That is, but I'm uh, looking yeah. at that. I see fat. Anyway, it's been a rough year, huh? It has well, has been. And the markets certainly aren't making people feel better. No. Uh, we're going to probably start to see some additional layoffs after the first of the year. I, mean, I think a lot of companies might be waiting. They don't want to let people go uh, just for that visual appearance of, uh, you know, doing it during the holidays. You may see some additional layoffs coming after the first of the year. Thank you, John. Uh, <laughs> yeah, all positive news <laughs> yeah, today. Yeah. Although the markets did close higher today. I after, did notice after that. After the losing streak they've had. So. Uh, no, I did notice that yeah. S&P, Dow Jones, yeah. Russell, NASDAQ, uh, yeah. even the 10-year yields, right? Yeah, everything uh, Everything was in a positive yeah, move today. Went up. Yeah, Good. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Finran Sipic and an investment advisor. Going Canyon Plenty Associates LLC and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. All right, John no, Dombrowski. No. God bless you. Thank you. We will check in tomorrow. I am Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960.
if the stock market volatility or the volatility of the stock market does have you nervous and you're looking to invest some money, why Refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that isn't correlated to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, and no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees. This is a secure collateralized portfolio, and it delivers a high fixed interest rate up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, 10 and a quarter percent. Why refi? A due diligence approved firm. You can look at them more at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or you can call them at 888 yrefi 34 That's 888-Y-REFI-34. These are really good guys who do well by doing good. You can be part of that as well. They're based here locally, and I uh, can't say enough about how good they are. Um, Supreme Court, John Roberts, for a day anyway, saved what's known uh, colloquially as uh, Title 42 in our ability to uh, send illegal immigrants uh, back uh, under the notion of uh, covid if this if 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 the title 42 plan if title 42 however does end and dissolve as the Biden administration has been pushing for uh Brandon um Brandon Judd uh writes intelligence reports indicate that arrests of illegal aliens at the border could immediately soar to 14,000 per day as early as tomorrow leveling out to something like 18,000 per day. Can you imagine arresting 18,000 people a day? Once this happens, there will be almost no agents left to patrol our southwest border with Mexico. The cartels will gain complete control. Before I continue with what uh, with what Brandon Judd writes here over at Fox News, this nonsense you hear from Karen Jean-Pierre Equally from Vice President Kamala Harris on an NPR interview today that if the Republicans would only work with the Democrats, they could solve the border is nonsense. Absolute nonsense. What they're talking about is reforming immigration with comprehensive plans, pathways to citizenship and all that kind of thing has nothing to do with border security. Nothing. I think it would be the height of common sense, the essence of common sense, to first control the border and then deal with the influx that's already here. The consequences, Brandon Judd writes, of Biden's self-inflicted border crisis have already been disastrous. But as bad as it is now, we're only experiencing the tip of the iceberg. Actions speak louder than words has never applied to President Joe Biden. He's all about words and no actions. Speaking of someone who is very gifted with both, Larry, our friend Larry, is in Tempe. Merry Christmas, Larry. Merry Christmas, Seth. Thank you. How are I, you? I'm doing well. You? I uh, I could complain, but I don't know if it'll do very much good. <laughs> yeah, I try. <laughs> I try and keep an, uh, an optimistic outlook. I try to be one. Uh, I'm well. Uh, my country that. is sick. Best I can do. Uh, yeah, I am, I am with you right along that, right along those lines. So I was having a difficult time not calling 
as you had talked earlier in the hour, the first part of the hour, about Stanford shenanigans um, with their wording and what they thought was offensive and potentially offensive and dangerous and all that baloney, for lack of a more sophisticated word. Yes. <laughs> it, it is truly baloney, and I do have an opinion based on much of it, but certainly the blind study hits in my wheelhouse. Yes, that's right. They got rid of blind study, and you happen to be someone who doesn't uh, see visually. That's right. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I'm I'm a person who doesn't see visually, but an easier way to say it, which is also part of what's so amazing about all this, is there seems to be in universities a need to use more words versus fewer. Yes. <laughs> and I'm, I can't, I can never understand why it's not easier just to say he's a blind person. He's well, they tell person. you that this using of the word blind review, even in an academic sense, <laughs> right? Blind right. review perpetuates a ne- negative ableist culture. Do you worry about living in a yeah. negative ableist culture, Larry? I don't. I don't worry about living in a culture like that. I worry about living in a culture that somehow, to any degree, controlled by people like this. I was I was contemplating other wording than that, mm-hmm. such as idiots. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the proof that that just getting an education, a higher education, doesn't make a person smart. Right. It makes them more educated. Yep. And. This is proof positive of that. And what's what's the old saying? I know you've used it. I know Dennis Prager used it. That I was William. Was it William Buckley? I'd rather be. Oh yeah. Governed by the first two thousand mm-hmm. names in the Boston phone book than mm-hmm. by the staff, the faculty at Harvard. Yep. Yep. And this is proof of that too. I mean, that supports that concept as well. That why would these people have any credence? In any way. It's amazing how much it's, it's effort astounding. was put into all this. I, all, it's really, this is, this is um, uh, an index of forbidden words, right, provided, uh, <laughs> let's see, it's a project of the Elimination of Harmful Language Initiative, which is a, quote, multi-phase, multi-year project to address harmful language at Stanford. EHLI is one of the actions prioritized in the Statement of Solidarity and Commitment to Action, which was published by the Stanford CIO Council and People of Color and Technology Organization. As I say, they're very busy over there. Do you know how much money all of that probably entails? I I, I, I can't even begin to, to imagine. It. It's seven figures well do. into. Yeah. 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 You know, have you, I'm, I'm sure you've maybe eight. heard this probably said it yourself in talking about people that commit crimes that if they just spent as much energy on working a legitimate job as they do committing their crimes, whether it's people that commit fraud or whatever it is, they spend more energy and more time doing something negative like that. These people are the exact same way. It applies to them as well. They spend more time worried about something like this than they do if they had put this type of effort and energy yep. towards resolving true problems in our country, there'd be many, there, there'd be many, well, I'm not saying, well, there'd be 
much fewer problems. Yeah, no, I mean, they are creating problems to, in order to solve them. They, as if we're yes, not surfing, exactly. i got to take a break. You're welcome to stay, Larry. I always love having you. If you would like uh, to say anything further, I'll let you do so on the other side of this break. But as if we're not surfeited with enough problems, I mean, can we just maybe try and teach Shakespeare and computer technology and IT without all this mess? No, is the answer. We can't. We have to be moral and linguistic busybodies to solve things that aren't problems in the first place. What are, They're worried about the 41 other countries in the Americas. I had a Listener email me, if those other nations are so concerned about being considered Americans, perhaps they should have put that name in their country's official name. <laughs> Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, special music for our uh, listener caller, Larry, who's in Tempe. That was an old show with, I think, McLean Stevenson. I don't know how long yeah. it ran, a couple seasons maybe. <laughs> About a talk show host, right? Yeah. Anyway, Larry, thank That's you. Right. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, sir. Anything on your mind. I love hearing from you. Sure, sure. I I do have one other thing to say in regards to the Stanford that, that I, again, like the word shenanigans. Mm-hmm. They, I, I don't think there's any way to totally analyze the problem, but there's one thing that strikes me that people leaning left in the case of these probably leaning so far they're horizontal, that they don't address things on an individual standpoint. It's all collective. Yeah. Therefore, every group of people has to be addressed as one. Yeah. But as a person who's blind, I can tell you, I can guarantee you that there are plenty of blind people out there that don't see things the way I do. Mm. They don't view – they would rather be called visually impaired, and I don't have any issue with that. I don't care one way or the other how somebody refers to themselves. I've always felt that way. Eyes. You call someone what they want to be called, pretty much. In, 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 a, in something like this, that's exactly right, which – causes a problem because if you're going to do that, then you can't address it as a group. You can't address everybody as one because everybody's going to be different. And that, I think that's at least a big part of this problem is they cannot stand by just viewing people as individuals. That's far too difficult. Destroy some of their other issues and destroy some of their other goals and efforts. And the only way you can do that is by addressing as a group and addressing as a collective. And, uh, yes, I think yeah, there's all just, of that is involved, but also the imposition yeah. of labels, you know, or or the imposition yeah, right. of taking away labels. The idea that you can't use the word American, that imposition. Take this Latin mm -hmm. X or Latin X business. Right. Yeah. Uh, no one in the Hispanic American community really wanted that. That was imposed by academic busybodies. I think uh, the yeah. last poll I saw of Hispanic Americans or Latino Americans was that one in eight likes the phrase, one in eight. And yet we're all supposed to do that even over and against what they want to be called and what their will right. is. We are creating problems to solve them, and it's, it's leading to more and more divisiveness, more and more division, and 
you know, not to put too fine a point on it, the one thing we all kind of did have in common once upon a time, or at least which united us, if it wasn't our country, it was our language. Bless you, Larry. Have a great holiday, sir. Thanks. Always good to hear from you. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back.